I uh, I postponed the show uh, 30 minutes so I could get something done. And honestly, I would have actually been better off if I had just started at 10 because um, I still just um, – I'm a hot mess over here. So um, I did get my thing done, though. You know, it just um, it just didn't do me any good to um, – I'm just – whatever. Okay, so <laughs> we had a podcast where we um, – Redeemed bad guys. Um, and t- t- I talked about redemption. And um, it was suggested by, and I forget who, um, that we um, talk about uh, our unicorns in fandom and um, taking them down um, the, the, the path of the villain. Uh, and I don't know if I can accomplish this, so, but we're going to talk about it tonight. And Julie's going to join me, and she's going to hopefully have more of a grasp on this situation than I do. <laughs> And uh, I want to uh, I I want to apologize in advance. Um, I have a little sugar thing going on, so I'm gonna have to eat during the podcast. And I know you guys can hear that sometimes. And I try to mute so um, when I when I have to have something in my mouth. So just just F, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, tell us your opinion. What is that noise? Uh, there's noise. Yeah. Is there noise? Is it really loud? Mm-hmm. It's like a fan. <laughs> it's like a hum. Um, I wonder which one it is. <laughs> it's a swooshing. It's a swooshing sound, like a white yes, noise. I, but in the room I'm in, one, two, three, four, five. We have six fans running. Seven. Seven. <laughs> um, I, I will, that could I will be why they're swooshing. <laughs> I will try to turn off the most likely offender for the swooshing. It's going to get worse for a second, though, as I get closer okay. to the swoosh first. <laughs> Yeah, hush. No more racket from you. Is that better? No. Is there less, is there less <laughs> swooshing? I still hear it. Is it me? You still you still hear it? Really? <laughs> wow, it's only, pretty much only the quiet fans are still on. There's the, the, the tornado still running. I guess it moves a lot of air. Okay. Plus it's something else. It could be your headset. Oh, what is that sound? No. Okay. All right. Okay. I've I've turned off as many of the swooshers as I can. There isn't your swooshers. If I turn off, <laughs> if I, if I, it, it it could be my headset. This is, I can't turn I can't turn off my sister's swooshers or she'll kill me. Um, <laughs> Oh, everything! It's, it's you. <laughs> okay. Is it me? Uh, I don't hear it as much now. Well, I did turn off like six fans and the air conditioner. So. <laughs> oh God! Don't turn off your air! Oh my God! <laughs> well, it's it's sixty nine in here. I think I can survive for a couple hours. <laughs> you may have, I may have overshot on this on the AC front, but I was hot. <laughs> okay. I know that feeling. Oh God, menopause is gonna kill me. Mm. Just perimenopause is kicking my ass, and now when the whole when the real deal gets you, I don't know how I'm gonna handle it. I mean, sometimes I'll get so hot, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know how I'm alive to get to um to be this hot on the inside and still be breathing. It seems weird. 
like I have yeah, a volcano like in my chest or something. It just—it's like you feel like you're about to prove spontaneous combustion. It's like, oh, right? Like you want to write it down just in case you do actually spontaneously combust. <laughs> so there's proof. Has anyone ever spontaneously combusted during PMS? I, I mean, not PMS, during menopause. <laughs> I just want to know if that can actually happen, because it feels like it can happen. I mean, it, there are times, it's like, if I'm out in public, it's like, how much can I take off and still be decent and not get arrested? I mean, it's like just stripping stuff off. <laughs> this cami is decent, isn't it? You can't see my bra through it. <laughs> I can just sit here in this. <laughs> So, what are your opinions about desecrating your unicorn? Now, you have one unicorn, and that's Tony Dino. Uh, well, if I had if I had to, if I had to pick one, now I have a I I would say um, there's a couple of fandoms. Um, I have well, no, I mean there are fandoms I definitely have a unicorn. But if I had to pick one, like one, like I could only have one in all the fandom, it would be Tony. Um, but in in the X Files, my unicorn was Alex Krychek. In Buffy, it was Xander. Um, like I don't, I couldn't even read stories where Xander was portrayed as an idiot or an asshole. It was like, nope, 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 nope. To me, Not that done. was. Now, <laughs> I, I would actually rather read my unicorn as a serial killer than an asshole, an abusive <laughs> asshole. So, um, I'm just me saying, too. <laughs> there's that's me. Um, a serial killer with I a could, just cause. <laughs> right, I could, I could, I could write and read and enjoy, like a character, kind of like a Dexter type thing. Um, not a, not a sexual status. I could never write that. But, um, uh, but just no. an abusive asshole who treats people badly. Uh, that's not the kind of unicorn desecration that I can deal with. As people, as people write that, thinking it's me, like, oh, look at how great I'm portraying this character. He's an asshole. He treats people badly. He tells people off. He, he says shitty things to them. And I'm like. Oh, um, that's the kind of desecration I'm not down for. <laughs> um, I would say in Stargate, um, Dan- Daniel would be my unicorn. Um, don't mess with Daniel. Um, and then in S- SG, and, and then in Atlantis, it's um, it's John. So I mean, I I would say I have some strong opinions in some fandoms about like that would be the character for me. I don't have a unicorn in Harry Potter. Um. I have anti unicorns, but I don't have I don't have like the one character that I just have to be. Um, I I, I don't think anybody could um it, it overlook the fact that Harry Potter is in fact my unicorn in Harry Potter. <laughs> Although some days it might actually be Hermione. Um, so, but yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and John Shepard of course in Stargate. Um, he's my original unicorn. Um, and that's because. John and I have something in common. We both love Rodney. (laughs) (laughs) You and John in Atlantis. Um, Didn't Lady Raw write a story called Loving Loving Rodney or something like that? Yeah. Atlantis has a big old crush on on Rodney. Rodney. Because Rodney fixes her. Um, So... um, And and Joe Flanagan and and I have something in common. He shipped it too, <laughs> and you can't you can't tell me he didn't. If if Joe Flanagan wasn't playing the part of the spurned boyfriend in season five, I don't know who was. 
There you go. <clears throat> you know, Kalia, I, I might have to agree with you. I actually would get more bent out of shape over Neville than, than probably any other character. I, I'm pretty, I don't I guess, call him my unicorn. About but how I, guess, I let Neville go crazy. Uh, and, um, you made him crazy. You didn't make him... You didn't bash and him. Even, I mean, he, and even when he was nuts, he was really nice. Yeah, he was still... I mean, you could see that that's what Neville would be like if he flipped his lid. It it seemed plausible to me. Um, <sighs> Boo, I don't know um, if we can trust you uh, uh, because you're not saying the pairing. It's what? Draco... And an apple, drapple. What? That might be taking fr- love of fruit a little bit too far. Um, you mean okay. like an apple so pie, have- or? <laughs> <laughs> an actual apple. That seems hard. Apple pie has already been. That was. I'm afraid that is the. Uh, that's um, out, wow. That's that's the domain of the American Pie franchise. It's like no one ever is going to. But anyway. Um, oh, I think mm. Lucy said so she might be drunk. Um, oh, Ellie, you are already in <laughs> trouble, girl. We're just we're just getting started. Come on. <laughs> I hope it was cord. Otherwise. Uh, uh, Oh God! Otherwise, you're just. Wow. I, we, we can't do this. We can't do this. Okay. Um, now the funny thing is, is, see, if I were doing something now, see, I think I I probably already written like in Exiles, like Krychek was already kind of if you saw him in a favorable way, you already looked at he was already an antihero at best, and pretend, depending upon your view, he might have even been the villain. So that unicorn started dirty. <laughs> So he was already desecrated. <laughs> um, I, I don't think Cannon. I, I don't think can, for for the limited number of times he was on the show, I don't think the Cannon of the show has ever been so mean to a character. Um, that was barely in the show. I I mean, <laughs> so many horrible things happened to him. Um, so he, he was already, he kind of started desecrated. So, I mean, that one wasn't, but wouldn't be a stretch at all to take that unicorn and have him be like, he's going to actually take over the world um, as opposed to just questionably be a, you know, nobody ever, I, I think he died with nobody knowing what side he was actually on. Um, he's an awesome kind of character. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was definitely on at least three or four sides all at once. And it was not real clear which side he was actually on. So um, he he um, so you could write him. It was easy to write him as kind of doing the right thing and playing all these competing sides against each other, or you could write him actually as a bad guy who is you know actually doing trying to do something, trying to take over the world. I mean, literally take over the world. Um, yeah, the Blair the Blair Crycheck story is great. Um, they, that's the one where they wind up they bond. That's that's the story where I believe that Jim um, rejects bond with Blair, 
and Blair um, bonds with Crycheck instead, and they like say prevent the alien invasion. And yeah, that's a really good story. Um, but that character, so it's, a little, it's that particular unicorn. The question is like, what do you do with a unicorn that is fundamentally a good character? You know, that it, it's difficult to do something naughty with them. And um, I think that um, my last rec for um, Fickapalooza, Fickapalooza, Fanfickapalooza, I don't remember what I even named it, uh, was a story by Lady Raw. Um, it has a very long title. Um, what was that title? Do, 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 do. If you haven't read the story, I do have. Can I just say it. that wore me out? By the way, I I had a hard time keeping track of the 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 wrecks. <laughs> like, have I already wrecked this? Fuck it, I'm doing it again. <laughs> I year, have I'm done. A list. <laughs> oh, I did. I did make those. And actually, I had twenty. I actually did all thirty-one days in advance. I picked them in advance, but I had to what I did is some of them, some stories were wrecked so many times by other people that mm-hmm. they were already on my wall repeatedly. So I decided to take them off my wreck list. And so at the end, I think I had like three slots or four slots where I had to come up with another story to put in that space. Um, I just moved up some ones from the end. Anyway, I did all mine in advance. Um, so Next year I, I do have a list. I, I do have a list of, of what I, I did. Um, but the last one I did was called Why Mycroft Worries Constantly About His Youngest Brother or How Willoughby Holmes Wooed and Won the Heart of James Bond. And I think that's the title, folks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this, summary. Is, this is Willoughby Hume, Holmes is Q before he becomes the quartermaster. So giving some context, to, this is a James Bond Q story. And say that... Um, Q is a that Willoughby is a he's a sociopath. Um, I would call making your unicorn um, a sociopath, um, or at least he's pretty damn close to sociopath. Um, I would call that desecration. I mean that that's desecrating your unicorn to do that to them. I mean he, he this this James Bond gets tortured in this place and and. Willoughby destroys the whole town. I mean, literally. That's where the story starts, is Mycroft calling to ask him why he destroyed that town, and don't deny it, I know you did it. And he said, well, I was vexed. I I was vexed because they captured James and did terrible things to him there. And don't be pissed at me. It was on your list of things to destroy anyway. Um, and Mycroft's just like, you're going to get caught. <laughs> He's like, that was his I'm not going to get caught. I'm going to get caught. Um. So, I mean, it's a very interesting, it's a really, it's very entertaining because somebody's doing these things, horrible things. Every time James gets in trouble, Willoughby takes some horrible revenge, right? And so James knows he's got somebody looking, he doesn't know who it is. So it's kind of like this sort of wooing thing going on in a wooing in a violent, obsessive kind of way. It's it's kind of a little bit out there, but it's, I find it really entertaining, Um that would be like maybe one angle I would go at with um, if I were to do something kind of like instead of like desecrating the unicorn kind of thing, which is like make it make them a little unhinged and doing things a little bit morally questionable, but you know, in the name of love kind of thing. <laughs> so, 
you know. I think that actually works really well in some fandoms. I think it would work really well in um, Bond. I think it would work really well in Sherlock. Um, I think it would work fantastically in Inception. Um, because Two Psychos in Love pretty much sums up Arthur and Ames. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, um, uh right, plotting Darkly Lowell was a was an experience for me because um, I killed characters that I actually like, and I'm like. <laughs> In canon, I actually like Remus Lupin. I do think he's kind of weak, um, but I understand his characterization and and where that's coming from, and I don't hate him for it. Um, but outright, you know, it was just like okay, dead, 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 dead. <laughs> but making, um, creating a situation where where your where unicorn can do something like that, and your readers not hate them. Is difficult. Yeah, I mean, I could see, like, I mean, it would. It's a, some fandoms, it's easier. Like you said, it's easier to do have a character go like off the rails in extreme situations, um, in where or where things are already being done that are morally questionable. I mean, the James Bond fandom is one where there's a lot of morally questionable stuff that the Double O agents do. So it's not you're not taking the reader too far to take them a little bit to have the characters doing things that are even more morally questionable. You just have to you know make sure you don't balance it to where you you really made them unlikable and people can't relate to them because I think that's the key to successfully making um, a good character like an antihero or even a villain is to still make them relatable. You still want the audience to relate to what they're doing and why they're doing it. So, like, if Tony was undercover with the mob in NCIS, like the pre-NCIS day, days, um, if, if, let's say he'd gotten burned by his police department, like there was a corrupt official or something, and, like, he was hung out to dry, um, I could see if he was betrayed enough that he might lash back at the people who had... Um, betrayed him and hung him out to dry. I could see him kind of going off the edge, over the edge that way a little bit. I could see him going like on a revenge thing and like actually maybe winding up leading the mafia, taking over for that Don in, in, in Philly or whatever. Um, I, I think you'd have to really, I, I would have to really work on how exactly that turnabout happened. Because um, he would have to feel totally unable to get help, I think, for Tony to um, totally, just Go like everybody. In, in, yeah, I mean, if he got completely burned, um, like if he was set up and like the FBI was now looking for him and um, and he really had no way of clearing his name or maybe his real identity had been destroyed or whatever, um, he had been erased in some fashion. I mean, if, I think if he got mad enough and he had been betrayed enough, I could see him embracing crime as a means of revenge. But I think that I would still he would become like the ethical mobster, right? Like you don't hurt women and kids and we don't do this and we don't do that. We're going to be, you know, we're going to go after the, the people who deserve it. I agree. Um, Tony's Tony has a very established moral center. 
Mm-hmm. He's the one on the show that you really don't see stomping all over the line. Um, yeah, he is, he's, he's the least likely, I think, to really go that route, but I think he could, I think it's possible he could, um, I think it it could happen. Um, you could kind of still make him kind of a, he you could, it could still be kind of a, depending upon what you're, how far you're trying to push the line, right? Like you could do a thing where like Tony got burned by um, a crossover with person of interest where he got burned by whoever and he's been hung out to dry while he's on an undercover assignment and like he's been disavowed by NCIS or whatever. And um, the machine identifies him as somebody needing saving and um, John and Reese, I mean Reese and um, Harold and Reese come and put save him, um, and he winds up working with them, kind of off the grid. I mean, that's kind of an antihero because that's kind of what they're doing is not legal, and so that's a little that's a, like a little bit desecrated, a little bit desecration. It's not completely. It's not like taking him full villain, but it is making him a little bit more of an antihero because he would be um, fundamentally doing something illegal, but good still doing a good thing so um i'm trying to read catch up with this sorry i'm sorry i was eating a pickle (laughs) anyways it's a very good pickle too i love a really uh crispy kosher um Mm mm-hmm Lady Holderbrob in the blood, um, and that's the story I wrote um, in the Stargate fandom. Um, I had to do a pitch, a pitch hitter for some kind of SGA thing. Um, I didn't have to. I volunteered to do a pitch hitting um, for somebody's Christmas present or something. Um, and they asked for, um, I forget what they asked for, but that was as close as I could actually get to what they asked for. And, and in the blood, um, these aliens... Uh, torture John to death repeatedly to make Rodney work for them. And when he works, they revive John in a sarcophagus-type situation. And Rodney endures this about as long as he can before he basically um, kills everybody in a 25-mile range of the device he was forced to work on. Um, And then they uh they go home to Atlantis. Um and when I was plotting that I thought to myself, you know, the thing is is that, you know, oftentimes when you see them in situations like that in fanfic, um John's the one that does something morally ambiguous. And but really, um I think that's more Rodney's bailiwick. When it comes right down to it, um, he's a very rational and person, and this is what he had to do to survive and to get John out alive, and so that's what he did. Yeah, 
I think and there I was think no that, there was no questioning it. But I don't think that that was um, with Rodney. I don't really think that that's actually much of a twist on his character. No. Um. Not to me, anyway. I I think, especially as time went on, I think Rodney was in a lot of ways more ruthless, in, at least in, in his ideals, than. Um, than John ever was. And so it's not it's not much of a it's not much of a turn. Whereas to take a character who's got a firm moral center. Not that Rodney doesn't have a firm moral center. It's it's just it's uh, I'm trying to think of how to say it. Um Rod, the situation they were in was completely different. So I think that there are lines Rodney wouldn't cross, but he's like, we're out here fighting for our lives and not to be sued. We're going to do what we have to do to survive. I think he has that kind of ruthlessness that it would be necessary to survive in that kind of situation. Um, a lot of people don't. You know, they just kind of curl up in a, you know, they kind of would curl up in a corner and just fall apart. Um, but I think Rodney is, but I still, I still see him as having lines he won't cross. And I, I think even if I were to write him firmly as like the bad guy, I would still have Rodney have those lines he wouldn't cross. Um, What's more interesting so I think is in canon, um, John does something that Rodney ever, never even considered. When Todd... Rodney was prepared to sacrifice himself. It never crossed his mind to feed the guy that put his sister in that situation to begin with to the race. Yet, that's immediately where John went. (laughs) This is your fault. You need to feed the race. (laughs) Well, I... But John has... I think John's ruthlessness is military-born. Military military created that. But, like, I see Rodney as, like, having, like, firm lines in the sand about things related to science. Like, okay, that's bad science. We're not doing it. Um, uh, if you were to write Rodney, write, not you person, not you specifically, but to you in general, if somebody were to write Rodney going off the rails and it included Rodney doing something questionable when it came to science, I would be like, nope, 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 nope. You can make him go off the rails if you want, but no bad science. <laughs> <laughs> It's good because of, of all the characters I really like, I think, I think it's um, based upon their, them in canon. The character that's the hardest for me to make go off the rails is Tony. Um, and yet I really enjoyed those, that serial killer thing. But, but Tony didn't go off the rails. He came in. The, the, the implication in that story is that he came into NCIS already like that. Right. That you know he, that he's doing a Dexter thing on the weekends, and Gibbs is kind of like reeling him in, and Gibbs knows about. It. And I could totally see Gibbs <laughs> get that no stretch to believe that Gibbs has a serial killer on his team and is covering for him. That's totally in line with canon. But um, uh-huh. but so that one, I think the reason why that played is because the implication is Tony was already like that. 
you know, that it's just happening undercover. He's, you know, that nothing at Canon is different. It's just, you know, when he's got a weekend off, he goes and kills somebody. Um, but to take him as, he, uh, you know, like have a moment where he turns bad, that's, uh, he's, he's not, maybe not turns bad, but does something questionable. Of all the characters that I really like, he is the most difficult to do that to. And it's partly because of the job he was in, um, the, what we, the circumstances we see in canon. A, a lot of the other characters I really liked were in much more life and death kind of situations. I mean, Xander, I mean, he was fighting demons. He lived on top of a hell mouth his entire life. Um, they had to constantly make really questionable decisions in order to ensure the world kept spinning. So for him, you know, he was already having to make morally questionable decisions about life and death from when he was like 15 years old. So um, I think that kind of fandom where you have that kind of that kind of world building is um, it's easier to see to to make it plausible that a character goes down a dark path. Uh, same thing with aliens, where you're fighting aliens all the time, especially aliens that want to eat you or want to put a little, you know want to wiggle inside your brain and imprison you inside your own body. Um, when that is when that is the reality of the world you're living in. There's a lot more desperation and ruthlessness and, and things that push people further than just, you know, somebody who is a federal agent whose life is dedicated to getting justice. I mean, that, that's why I think it's so difficult, because the canon circumstances are so much different. Style is already And when she almost... says difficult, when she says difficult, what she means is that it's, it's hard to read and believe. Yes, it's hard to read and believe. You and can, it's hard to come up with. You can do it's it. Hard to, because, yeah, you can. But it's hard to make it plausible. And it's hard to come up with a situation where it is, where it, it is plausible. Um, at, but I think Styles is already pretty close to being a villain anyway. <laughs> um, He's just one exactly. smart-ass remark from Scott away from killing half the people in that town. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that, I think that Styles' father is probably what kept Styles from being a super villain. <laughs> so, I mean, Styles, Styles was um, incredibly loyal to people he cared about, but he did not give a flying fuck about, as far as I could tell, um, from what I've seen and the transcripts I've read, and and I've probably now worked my way up to like four episodes of that show. Um, he was concerned about those who were close to him. He was not like the one fighting for truth, justice, in the American way. So um, he's not. It is not. A, it is not a switch. It's not much of a turn to make Styles like an antihero. Um, now, see, typically, here's the thing about I, when it comes to, like, desecrate your darlings kind of thing. Um, I think what you want to do is you want you, that arc, whatever the arc is for that character, to be the sympathetic one. Um, you don't, you want them to be the protagonist, even if they're doing a bad thing, you know, like if they're taking over the world, um, you want you your want reader audience. to be, hell yeah, take over the world. 
<laughs> yeah. You want them to be cheering for them to be able to get what they want, you know. Um I just I I got chat moved a little quickly. Um, I think a really interesting example of um, guiding your audience down a terrible path um, happened in Game of Thrones uh, when you find out that uh, the white blonde chick is actually yeah. the aunt of Jon Snow and. The audience was still on board with them banging. They were all all up at yeah, yeah, John, get some, dude. They don't care <laughs> that that is his aunt. They don't give a shit because the writers just kind of guided them down that that terrible, terrible, incestuous path, and the audience ate it up. And I don't watch it, but I have to admire crafts like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people are I mean, on Twitter yeah. saying, yeah, bang your aunt, bang your aunt. I'm like, okay, that you you did a good job with that. I don't know how you accomplished that. Congratulations. Still not watching it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, I, I try I tried to watch Game of Thrones and it for it was too rapey for me, honestly. That's 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 you know, I'm not bashing the book or the author or the show. It just, I couldn't deal with how rapey it was. It was a little over the top for me, so I had to stop watching it. Um, now, granted, the characters but, don't know they're related, right? They don't have any idea that they're actually related at, at, at that point when they were begging. Not yet. Those okay. two, no, no. Um, but they're, in the first season, aren't there two characters who are like brother and sister who are having sex? Yeah, didn't they jump and they know they're related. But uh, so, so you pointed out that, like, in, in canon, um, Capricious Twilight said above that Styles and Xander are both characters. Um, they, would do any, they, they are willing to go to the extreme. They do whatever it takes. And that is one of the differences between, like, a Styles Xander type character. So they're too, Styles is my unicorn in Team Wolf fandom. That's the difference between, like, a, those kind of fandoms, like Styles and Xander versus Tony, is Tony will not do anything. I mean, he has he has a line he will not cross, and that I think is really clear in canon is that he there are places he won't go, and he won't there's he won't compromise himself in certain ways. So um, he wouldn't do. But the thing is, he doesn't live in a situation where he has to he has ever had to adapt to that. And I think that would be something you'd have to put him into if you wanted him to be that kind of character is you would have to put him into a situation where it became more desperate. You could write a zombie apocalypse or an alien invasion or something where it became more desperate. But like, even if it became more desperate, I still don't see him as the kind of character who's going to ever cross certain lines. Like, um, like that whole, like in Stargate, that everybody was so okay with the experimentation, uh, the unethical experimentation that was done with, on Michael. Um, that really bothered me. And I don't see, like, 
even in a desperate situation where you're fighting for your life, I don't know that I would be Tony's the kind of character who'd be okay with that kind of nope. thing. I don't see it either. I don't see it. I, I think he would lose his shit. Are, are you asking so serious? No, no. <laughs> you can't do that. Are you out of your you mind? Can't do that. People are very inventive. Um, Weirdly, I could see Harry going. Um, he's not one of my unicorns, but he, I could see him like going to the dark side. Not like I don't mean that like Darth Vader way, but you know what I mean—the kind of hyperbolic kind of dark thing. Um, and maybe because Kara's modeled it so well that it would that there, you know he he. But again, it's a world that has a world and situations that have a level of desperation. Um, where and also, I think if you look, it, it's easy to look at the canon for Harry Potter and think that Harry's life is just one betrayal after another, and that at some point you're going to push that. You could push that character too far, and he could just snap and, and just what happens rain when down. He does? And then he has a well. Then you know the author has a database of people who've been killed. Um. <laughs> Hey, it's because I don't want to accidentally kill somebody two or three times. Or forget That's to not kill true. somebody. It's because it would be inconsistent if I killed somebody two or three times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, choose your words. Choose your words. Because I could kill Molly Weasley four or five times in a, in a single fic and not even be mad at myself. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be upset. Um... We just used a time turner and just kept trying different ways. We felt like we got it right. <laughs> time loop. But um, if you want something done right, that's right. Um, so I feel like because Tony, for me, is the, the toughest one to spin to the dark, uh, so to speak, that I'm trying, I'm sitting here trying to think of how, how I would do it, how I would, I don't think, like I said, I couldn't make him full on. There's things I wouldn't do to characterize. I was trying to, like I said, I would, I want the audience to root for them. Um, so for me to write, I think it becomes a situation of say like a man on fire, um, where it, he wouldn't cross the line for himself, but he would cross the line for somebody else. Yeah, that could work. Or if, if, like, there's just so much corruption, like, that he can't, that he can't do anything about le- in a legal way, like in his chain of command or something, and it just has to be dealt with. Um, <laughs> um, maybe. I think that, I think it says, Sadri says that Ziva kills Gibbs and Tony ruins her, her uh, everything. I think that that is a plausible um, assumption that, that I think it's plausible that Tony but would go after somebody who kills Gibbs, but 
I still think that there are lines he wouldn't cross for revenge or he might do it to save somebody. I don't know that he would cross it for revenge, but it's way more likely that Ziva would kill Tony than that she'd kill Gibbs. Um, and in that case, you could write Gibbs just going completely off a fucking hook. It would just be like, boom. Yeah, yeah, you could really turn Gibbs into a evil motherfucker by killing Tony. Um, or even just the assumption that he might die. Yeah. Especially if the threat was still out there. Like if, say, Massad tried to keep Tony. I could see that going um, pear-shaped really quickly. Now, if Mathod tried to keep Tony, I would probably do that to have Steve go off the rails, have Steve and Tony be in like a secret relationship, and Steve loses his shit. And he's the one who, because it's a lot, I have no issue turning, having Steve do something morally questionable. <laughs> well, he's a seal. Right. So, and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that special forces soldiers are trained and conditioned to react um, to situations differently than other people. I'm, I'm not trying to disparage the service in any single way. I'm saying that someone be. who's trained in special forces um, can go to war, and it's um, it's conditioning. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, someone said something up above that had me thinking about something, but then I had a little bit of a blue screen going on in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice one, Edie. Um, She said, "The mothership turns into into the motherfucking ship, and that's absolutely true." But yeah, I could see Steve going commando in in a, in a variety of situations. And if, if there's any movie on this earth that that I adore more than Commando, I don't know what it is. <laughs> But she said in the huh, she said in the place and well how will I know? Because <laughs> all motherfucking hell's about to break loose. Yes. <laughs> you know what I was about to write? Somebody steals Grace and Steve goes full commando. <laughs> Complete there with a break go. into an army surplus store. <laughs> um I, I don't know that I want to take the blame for that or the credit. Um 
read because um, I rage quit that show because of season. The, I did too. Very questionable. Just Danny. Of, yes. Yeah, it's like I don't care who you guys kill, but don't have an affair. What the fuck? Um, so I I think it's right. totally worth watching the first season to get familiar with the characters. But man, you're you're not going to be happy eventually if you have the same kind of. And also, it, it is like the most. They do the craziest stuff. I am on that. They have the craziest shit happening on that show. Um, sometimes it's just like really, really. Um, <laughs> I mean, I did. I did. I wrote one of my big shorts. Um, I think it's called, I want to say it's called Saying No. I don't really remember exactly what it was called. Um, it, I had Tony. Isn't that um, all the things they I, said? Huh? Now I have to go look. What are you looking for? Oh, oh, a big short. I thought you meant your, um, your, your fic, um, your, your mothership fic. Not a big short. Never mind. Ignore me. Uh, my the motherships. Yeah, I have the only mother. I think you're right. The only mothership I have up is everything they said. But um, the big short that I have up is I, I want to say it's called saying no, but I'm going to double check to make sure I got that title correct. Um, I believe it was under the theme fury, and the prompt was fury. Um, maybe not. No, the prompt was revenge. Yeah, it's called saying no. Um. And in that one, it, I believe it's right after they rescue. I'm in the wrong place. Wrong chat room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the one where Tony is pissed off when he comes back from um, Israel. And um, He um, is so furious about Gibbs and um, because I think this is what I wrote, folks. He's furious about Gibbs and, and Vance willingly turning him over to Mossad for questioning like he was a criminal for um, defending himself um, against the Kedon assassin who wasn't supposed to be in the country and who had killed an ICE agent. So I mean, that whole thing made no sense. And he was so angry, he came back and he turned all of the information about all of, of his espionage and what, his, his, what the director had done and everything he had over to a friend of his at the FBI um, in order to help facilitate bringing down his entire, um, basically his management chain all the way up to the second half. So um, he was... Um, uh, that to me is a little bit taking him down a, a little bit of a like, yeah, the anti-hero kind of path because he was he that he he was just pissed off, and he's like I'm gonna that was a case of him I'm going to I'm gonna burn this all to the ground because you people fucked me, um, but he still did it in the right way because corruption at a federal agency is the purview of the FBI, so he still did it the right way. I mean it's not like he went to the the press. You know, he went to the right person and said, but, he, you know, he was pissed off, though. So he did because he was angry. Um, so, I mean, that was a little bit me kind of taking a little bit darker spin on his on his because that's typically not the way he, I don't have him act out of anger. It's like just purely spiteful revenge very often. 
Um, but so I did that in that one little short where he just gets pissed off and says, that's it. You are all, all going to pay because, and I think, you know, but it was also, there was also behind that, there was a lot of like, um, moral indignation going on because Ziva was guilty of espionage and they were just brushing it under the rug. And I think that logically that would have, as a federal agent, that would just offend him to his core that they were going to let that go. It's just bad writing. It is terrible writing. It is terrible writing. I don't know what they were thinking writing that espionage in the end of the show and then having it have no consequences because not only no consequences, but they made her an American citizen. They p- pulled favors to rush through her citizenship so she could become an agent after they found, had conclusive proof that she had been um, spying, that she had been, uh, that she was at NCIS as a spy for years. They had that proof, and they still did that. I mean, it is such bad writing, I don't even know what to do with myself. And so I took that, and I had Tony go, like off the rails about it. He just was furious. And I think that, that the difference for me there is I could see Tony doing that for calm, cool, collected position of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, even if it sinks my career, because it would sink his career. Um, I mean, that's just the way things, whistleblowers and law enforcement don't do well. Even if they stay employed, they don't exactly get promoted or anything, right? So he, he would be basically ruining his career. But I could see him doing that, that in the if he was doing it for justice, he would do it in a more forthright way. But the the kind of going behind the scenes and um, going through a friend and um, making, you know, trying to ensure it was as painful as possible, that was because he was angry. That's a sad so thing Gryffindor to... because I think a Slytherin method would be to move on to a new job and then anonymously report the whole situation to somebody. <laughs> well, it was semi-anonymous because he was going through the FBI, but he was doing it with a personal friend. Somebody he personally knew at the FBI was going to keep him out of it. Um, yeah, I had actually had a plot bunny where Tony actually gets set up with the situation of NCIS, and he basically turns in his resignation. And Jack has been monitoring. He, he's been wanting to recruit Tony for Atlantis because they know he has the gene, but they'd felt that they had a low success, a low, low chance of success recruiting him because of his purported loyalty to Gibbs. So they never even had tried. And so when they find out that he is thinking about um, quitting, that they move in and recruit him. And Yay! I could easily, I could easily turn that to Tony turns, you know, a bunch of data over to Jack on his way out the door. And says, you know, since, you know, I, I, I need to do this anyway. I'm going to, if you want me to work for you, you handle it. <laughs> this is the price. <laughs> I'm going to turn this over to you. And show me I can trust you. Do. Yes. Yeah, show me this. I can trust you. Because that's, that's an excellent test right there. Are you going to cover this shit up for them too? Lady Holder has a good point. Or Jack do you actually have, have some dimmer, what? a dimmer view of trees than Tony would? Oh. And Ziva's actions may be espionage, although if they continued after she became a U.S. citizen, then they'd be treason. Um, 
Gibbs, her I mean, Jenny, or espionage. Vance and Gibbs covering up for it. That's treason. It, tr- yeah. Um, yeah, because Jenny, if Jenny knew about what Ziva was doing, that would be treason. If she if she um, facilitated Ziva's access so that she could commit espionage, that'd be treason. Um, but once Ziva, if Ziva continues, but I've read, I've actually read stories where Ziva continues spying after she is an NCIS. She continues passing information to Mossad, and like they chastise her periodically. I was sort of like chastise her. You can't pass this on Mossad. It's like, okay, she's a she's a, a citizen now. She is an she's an agent of NCIS. If she continues to do the stuff that she did. That would now be treason, and there's no deals to be made then, right? I mean, it's just just like whoa. Um, this is bad writing. Just it's just super bad writing. It's it, it's really infuriating too. This is the this is a situation where they're not paying attention to their own ripples. No, they really didn't. Which makes it really easy to exploit as a fan fiction writer because it's like whoa. You can, you can, because you can, you can make all kinds of inferences about their what, what they did. Um, the the reality is it's shitty writing, and they weren't paying attention to the consequences of what they did. Um, they That's the same thing with dead air, though. Exactly. They never. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it's just it's it's infuriating. Um, now I could now I do I have to there is a there is a little bit of a twist in this when you talk about like kind of like the darker behavior um, one way to kind of go towards in, uh, exploring that kind of darker side behavior a little bit in a character like Tony is to make him a sentinel and I don't mean like an anti-hero or a dark sentinel kind of thing but you, you can make him a sentinel and put his guide in danger I mean, I did that whole set. It opens up a lot of in that one choices. Yeah, it does. Because I mean, I did that Sentinel hunt in that one story, where Tony was got got permission to go and execute somebody. That's what he was doing. I mean, that's a very much that's a much darker spin on his personality. And that's something that he wouldn't have done if he wasn't a sentinel. But you add on that kind of sentinel imperative, the guide in danger, this guy, this guy's menacing, threatening his guide, and the council gives him permission to go find this guy and kill him. I mean, he's he's on a sanctioned execution is what he's doing. So, I mean, that's way darker than I usually write him. I think, I mean, I can, I, I can only speak from my own perception of it, I think it read plausibly that it didn't seem like it was jarring or off, or people go, "Whoa, no, Tony wouldn't do that." Um, I, I didn't read. Think so. When you put a primal sentinel, which is Fanon, you know, when you put that on top of a, it it, it changes any character. Yeah. And readers expect it, and that's the beauty of a, of a sentinel fusion. You can do a lot of things um, that you can't do otherwise, and readers are like, "Hell yeah." <laughs> Get it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I had that one story. I started. I started it, but I wasn't really thrilled with, with the way it started. I think it was a, both a pairing issue and a and the, where where it started. I think I started it in the wrong place. There were all kinds of issues with, with this story. But um, I did plot and start this one story 
where um, I've talked about it before, where Tony um, comes online. Um, Kate is a guide, and um, Tony was coming online when she was killed, and she knew it. So she was helping empathically buffer him um, because he was coming online at an inconvenient time, and she was helping buffer him. Uh, so they were connected empathically when she was murdered by Aerie. And um, he connects to Aerie's mind when he comes online the moment of her death and connects to Aerie's mind. And he goes into a fugue state um, and kills Aerie. Um, so, but you can, when you have something like that sentinel guide world building, you can do things, you can make your character darker, have them do things that are, would be way out of character in their normal canon settings. So if I wanted to write Tony being darker, darker in his behavior, darker in his actions, whatever, um, it, it, that would be my, uh, that's an easy, that's a, a convenient, easy way to do it is to do something like Sentinel Guide or whatever. Um, I have a short in the big shorts where um, where Jenny's um, had an affair and her lover killed Harry's children and and several other Weasleys um, because she was using her family as an excuse not to be with him and. Harry and Hermione sacrificed Jenny to go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends with with Ron coming into the to the um the train car and introducing himself. <laughs> and Harry's full on psycho, which is why I've never actually write that particular short into anything bigger. Um because it's He's psycho. <laughs> and Hermione's not remotely interested in um, uh, reining him in because this asshole killed her kids too. Uh, and he, he killed a whole bunch of people in the borough. So she's um, just along for the ride and she don't give a shit anymore and cup everybody. So I would never actually write that story because it's just revenge with no end in sight. And he's crazy. Really crazy. Um, someone messaged me at the beginning of the uh podcast, um, we were talking about uh serial killers and how far we would go and Julia said something about that she would not write her hero bad guy character going into um, serial killing as a sexual sadist that is not the same thing as being a sexual sadist in a BDSM situation. No, 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 no. Sexual no. sadism. No. <laughs> sexual sadism in reality is a uh, is is a mental disorder, and um, it, it with with serial killers it it usually involves. Um, Achieving 
sexual gratification through murder. So it's it's not the same thing. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I was I was thinking I was talking about the serial killer pathology, the, the, that classification of serial killer that gets off sexual gratification from hurting people, killing them. Um, and often there's usually a sexual component as well. There's often a rape component in those crimes. Um, Big difference. I'm not talking about consensual BDSM. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no yeah. call on asking about it because I really appreciate the fact that you asked and did not make assumptions. Um, that's always, that's, that's awesome and, and we both appreciate it. That way we could get it into the material of this podcast and not on a later one <laughs> where we have to come back and address it. So thank you for hitting me up in the middle of the podcast set to ask me that question. I'm, I'm, I'm being for real. I'm not being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you asked too, because I, um, hopefully now I won't get an email accusing <laughs> me of being a hypocrite because <laughs> And then I'd have to send them links about, you know, serial killer pathology. So it's not the same thing. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, but seriously, uh, there um, there is a big difference. And um, it's one of the reasons why I'm very careful um, when I write Ties That Bind and, and John's sexual sadism. And we and even in Ties That Bind, they, they talk about, um, going too far and and being um, dangerous on Ronan's world, doms like John aren't allowed to call our subs. Uh, so you know it is something that when I uh, when I was building the world building for Ties That Bind, I did think about the the various aspects of the psychological diagnosis of sexual sadism. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because when sexual sadism is combined with sociopathology, that's, that's when you get somebody who gets off on a corpse. Yeah. I should have just said, you know, sadistic serial killer because the sexual is implied um, was a sadistic yeah. serial killer. Um, so, yeah. Um yeah, that was a bad terminology choice on my part. But, yeah, I'm definitely not talking about BDSM. Um, if you've watched Criminal Minds, one of the best examples in Criminal Minds of a sexual sadist is Foyette. Yes, yes. Um, also... Truly, even if people get off on inflicting pain, in BDSM, they're not true sadists. Um, not true, they are not true sadists. Because um, true sadists um, don't, they don't want their partner to receive any gratification from what's happening. So, the, you know, the pleasure aspect. The they don't need pleasure the, the psychological they definition want, of a sexual sadist. <laughs> Right, right. They we call them sadists because in BDSM, it's all, but it's almost more um, it's almost more of a misnomer than it is because it's more like because getting off on hurting someone who wants to be hurt is not quite the same thing as as, as true sadism. 
And if that's the only thing, if you only want to, if you only want to hurt somebody who wants to be hurt, that's really not the t- t- true sadism. So, um, if you read ties that bind, you will um, you will encounter a genuine sadist, and that would be um, well, there are actually two. Um, uh, while John would never murder anybody, he he is a genuine sadist in that he can. He could get off on hurting somebody who wasn't enjoying it. He doesn't do it, but he could. Dato Raja, on the other hand, got an erection and would have certainly gotten off if he had continued to beat Kevin Jordan in public. Well, but that is I mean, the fantasy world. So Yeah, I, and I wrote those two dynamics to give example of um it's more about John's control. It is there, and I don't want somebody to come back at me with it later and say, hey, you didn't acknowledge this. I am acknowledging it. Dr. Dr. Raja is um, a little fucked up. That's how I wrote him, and I'm not even ashamed of myself. So I don't want to hear anything about it. <laughs> well, when you when you create an, an elaborate like fantasy world like that, I mean, that's part of at least part of the reason I would create an elaborate world like that is to give my give myself space to do things I wouldn't do in a traditional contemporary setting um right that I wouldn't you know and if I were writing like an elaborate BDSM world um it would be to give myself room to do things I wouldn't do in a traditional BDSM story you know that where because it it's it's it would be you know to me it's implicitly different when if BDSM is the norm and everybody does it um things would evolve differently than, than they have evolved in the kind of BDSM culture we have now. Um, so I'm still trying to think of ways to, to sort of desecrate my unicorn, the unicorn, the big kahuna. Um, he, he is a hard one. I mean, he's a hard one. I, I, other than, uh, I feel like the whoever whoever you know other than just doing that whole thing where he was already dark to begin with he was already doing that Dexter type thing I mean I find that idea so intriguing um, you know somebody's, somebody's pinging me and messenger about this I think the say. Dexter thing is um, is intriguing as well which is why I did it with Sherlock because mm-hmm. he, it just seems like that's the kind of thing that he would have as a hobby. Not Sherlock Holmes, but the character of Sherlock <laughs> in the modern setting just strikes me as somebody that would be perfectly okay hunting and killing people as long as he didn't get caught. Whereas I can't see the historical version played by Robert Downey Jr. doing it. Yeah, I, I oh, I completely agree, and I couldn't see the um, the elementary version of it, the contemporary um, U.S. No. remake of it. I could I couldn't see him doing it either. But the Sherlock, the the borderline borderline sociopath in the BBC Sherlock, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that skull was a trophy. Yeah. 
it wouldn't surprise me either. Um, we had we hadn't talked about the MCU in in the MCU. My unicorn would be Tony Stark, um, followed by Bruce Banner. Tony Stark, it's a lot easier for me. Would be a lot easier for me to desecrate him in, in that regard about making him a a villain in a sense than it would be Bruce Banner. Um, I agree. I like Tony. Be, I would say um, I would have a hard time choosing between him and Bruce Banner as well. I really like the character of Bruce a lot. I think he's very complicated uh, psychologically, and I really enjoy that. Bruce, Bruce is. Um, I I think the reason one of the reasons why it's so hard to if we look at canon, like the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, MCU, I got got into it the other day about MCU, what it stands for. It stands for Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is the movies, not the comic book universe. I realize it's confusing because comic and cinema both start with C, but it stands for Cinematic Universe. So I just don't give me this happened in the comics. That that line is getting really old with me from people. Well, in the comics, like I don't care about the comics. I'm talking about the Cinematic Universe here. In the Cinematic Universe. Um, Bruce goes to such extreme lengths um, and this isn't even just in the cinematic universe this was in the TV show it, to, to, to protect people from himself that, and, and his dark side and then in the MCU even once the, 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 the big guy was off the leash and was in charge full time for what 18 months, 2 years or something like that um he still didn't even do awful things. He was pretty chill and kicked back and just enjoyed hanging out in his, you know, nice little suite with a hot tub and fighting on a regular basis. I mean, he could have escaped any time he wanted. He chose not to. He didn't, like, wreak havoc on everyone. Rampage and destroy the whole planet, and he could have. <laughs> they took him out into the arena to fight. They treated him like a gladiator, and he kind of accepted it. I mean... He clearly is mentally kind of simple. Uh, um, he's not got advanced thought processes going on. There's not a lot of like you know higher reasoning happening with the Hulk, but he's just kind of clearly not. Um, uh, he obviously comes out when Bruce is in, under threat, so he usually comes out swinging. But clearly, when he was left in charge for a long period of time to protect Bruce, um, he didn't do anything awful. So. Um, he calmed down, made a friend. So it's, right. It's really so. It's really hard to, to corrupt Bruce for me. I, I, I would. I, it would be a real stretch. Um, again, you'd have to do something with the world building where he's in a different kind of situation. I mean, I wrote the story where he's a sentinel. I mean, I think that if his guide were threatened, I could see him going off the chain. But other than other than some kind of like really big external um, motivation. Um, uh, you know, I want to say something. Um, am I the only one who, when Bruce finally made it back to Earth and he sees Natasha for the first time, you know, since she betrayed him and pushed him off the thing when he didn't want to be the Hulk, and thinking to myself, you know what, Bruce, if you punched her in the mouth right now, I wouldn't even be mad. I wouldn't have been mad. I was so furious when she did that to him. I was so furious. And um, clearly no one knew what happened to Bruce after that, right? We we assumed he didn't die because the Hulk 
pretty much can't die. So at the end of Age of Ultron, no one really knows what's happened to the Hulk. Um, the last thing we saw, he was in charge and he's in that Quinjet. I think that's the last thing we sees of him until we find out what happened to him in Ragnarok. So everybody, mm-hmm. I, I get that people had every reason to believe that, that he was somewhere on Earth. Um, it was, I agree with you, um, when song it, it was a consent issue. But people had, people had every reason to think that Bruce was on Earth. So it kind of like sticks in my craw a little bit when I read stories that are written after Age of Ultron, but before we find out what happened to Bruce, um, where Bruce is written like a coward and a little bit of a traitor to Tony for not showing back up and not turning up for the Civil War stuff and that he was out hiding and licking his wounds. That really bothered me. Um, because... Um, it bothers me when I see that portrayal. I mean, people can do whatever they want, but it's a pet peeve of mine because Bruce was mind-raped by the Scarlet Witch, um, and his worst fear was forced on him, which was that he would harm people, be used to harm people, and he was. And then um, Wanda's on the team, and so assuming Bruce is on Earth, which is, what, which is what everybody assumed until we found out that he actually wasn't, had gotten stuck in some wormhole or something. So assuming Bruce is on, everybody's assuming Bruce is on Earth, it's, it's likely that he's watching the news and he's at least somewhat aware of what's going on and that the Scarlet Witch was part of the Avengers now. Um, Natasha had betrayed him. The team had brought somebody onto the team who had... Um, mind raped him. Why in the world would he turn up for any of that shit, assuming he was on Earth? The Avengers had succeeded in doing to him everything that he had feared about his condition. So why would he get involved in Avengers shit after that point? I would have been done if I was him. I'd have been done. But people wrote it stuff between that was written before Ragnarok. There's I've seen it's not just one story, I've seen multiple stories where it's written like a personal betrayal of Tony Stark that Bruce vanished and nobody knew where he was and he never got in touch. And there's this assumption that he's a coward and he's off licking his wounds. I just find that really, really offensive. I mean, how much more did yeah. he take? Boo, get in the corner. Oh, yeah, get in the corner. You can sit on Ellie's lap. I don't, I don't know what she's knowing about. Is she... Is she? Yes, you can... Not banana ones. You can't have banana holy wafers in the corner. That's why you're in the corner. No, she's in the corner because she has holy wafers. I don't have holy wafers. I don't either. You can bring Why are you them, yelling, but boo? I, what is, are you okay? Turn off your caps lock, woman. She, well, she's drunk. <laughs> Ellie wants you to eat your unicorn? Which is an apple. <laughs> the chat room is crazy ass tonight. Um, I would ha- I can't, uh, I can't imagine any way I could corrupt um, Bruce. Uh, what, what I would say about Bruce, and especially the Scarlet Witch, is that I view the Hulk 
having a very childish um, uh, psychology. Uh, the thing is, is that Bruce grew up in an abusive home, and Bruce's father beat his mother to death. That's the canon of Bruce Banner's character right there, in a heartbeat. His dad ends up in a psychiatric institution for beating his mother to death. And he beat Bruce. And when it boils right down to it, Bruce has a dissociative identity disorder, and it manifests in the Hulk. Yeah. And then when children um, have that kind of situation happening in their early childhood, they sometimes create an alternate personality to protect them. And that's what the Hulk is. The Hulk is baby Bruce's alternate personality to take to, to take the abuse that his father was. So Hulk is a little kid. He's a he's a he's a kid who's who's stuck in a big giant body who who has an anger management problem. And Scarlet Witch not only mind raped Bruce, but she mind raped the Hulk, and that is a whole other level of fucked up because the Hulk is a child. The Hulk never grew up. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that is he had, that's a very childlike personality. And I actually I wrote it that he's not even all that angry. It's just that he comes out, he is able to force himself to the surface when Bruce is in danger. And so he, um, they say, I mean, well, if you look at Bruce, go ahead. Well, the candidate, when it, that he comes out when Bruce gets too angry, but I don't, I never, I always thought as being Bruce was threatened. I agree. I don't know that it's, you know, but I mean, maybe it was just well, when, when, when you look at Ragnarok, when you look at Hulk's interactions with, um, with uh with Thor. He's he's very childish. Um when Thor tells him he's not the favorite Avenger, he's like all mad and shit, like a kid. Mm-hmm. He's very childish. And he breaks the ship so Thor can't leave him so Thor can have so so he can keep his friend. Like a little kid. And so and, I, and after I saw that in Ragnarok, it it made me hate Wanda all the more. Because I hated what she did to Tony, and I hated what she did to Bruce, but what she did to Hulk is obscene. Because he's a little more than a a child. Yeah. I, um... I mean, there's been a lot of... I've, I've seen a lot of theories about why the Hulk wouldn't come out in, um... And um, I have one. Infinity Wars. Infinity Wars. And I think there's, I think there's quite a few, but I, uh, some good theories out there that it would explain why stuff like he was actually afraid of Thanos. Da, 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 da. But um, you could also easily spin it that he did not want to be around the Scarlet Witch. That he was just refusing to be around her, around people who worked with her. Um, that it was just a hard no from him. No. That he he was that that maybe she what she had done to his mind was something that scared him that that's what actually scared him was what she could do to his mind. I 
I could see it as a possibility. It's my personal um, fanon that the Hulk wouldn't come out because the Hulk was created to protect Bruce, and the Hulk believed himself to be invincible, like you do when you're a little kid. The Hulk didn't think he could be defeated. He thought he was, and then he met something bigger and lost. And the Hulk realized that he wasn't invulnerable. The Hulk had a growing up moment. That really makes sense. I think Loki yep. is dead, but I think Loki will come back. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways they could bring Loki back that have nothing to do with the Infinity Stones. Um, In fact, it's, and I hate to do this, but she just said that she didn't want to hear anything about it. But it's actually common book canon that because Thor survived Ragnarok, that he was able to bring back all of the Asgardians that died during Ragnarok. Because he's a god. <laughs> well, but so, Loki didn't die in 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 the MC, in the cinematic universe, but, Loki didn't die because of Ragnarok. It actually could be argued that they all the people who died on that ship died because of Ragnarok because how the hell would have Thanos gotten a hold of any of them if if Ragnarok hadn't happened? Well, Thanos would have come to Asgard. I mean, he just finished destroying a planet, you know. So, yeah. um, once so. he got the Power Stone, once he got the Power Stone from Xandar, he would have been able to get the Tesseract from Asgard. So, I don't think that, yes, they were conveniently positioned, um, and he found them because of the Tesseract, which means he would have found them on Asgard. How do you get to Asgard if you can't use the Bifrost? Well, it's sitting out there. I mean, Loki got to, when Loki fell from the yeah. Bifrost, he, Thanos picked him up, so you have to be able to get there. And when they came back to um, Asgard, they used the, <laughs> they used the devil's anus. <laughs> they used the devil's anus, um, but they also <laughs> traveled to Asgard with the Tesseract at the end of the Avengers. But the Devil's Anus was the favorite pathway to Asgard in, in all of the MCU canon. Um, Thor used the Bifrost to return at the end of the Avengers. No, he didn't. That's how he got there to begin with. That that's how he got to Earth using the Bifrost. No, he didn't. He um, um, Loki asked him how much dark energy did the All Father have to conjure to get you here with the Bifrost broken because the Bifrost hadn't been repaired yet. Oh, and it is oh. it is repaired. And then they use that device that the Tesseract. They put the Tesseract in that device and they turn. Remember, he turns it at the end. He and Loki are each holding one oh. one end of it. They oh. use the Tesseract to get back. At least that's the way I always interpreted that. I didn't see the Bifrost. Um, the Bifrost is I, distinctive, and I. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll buy it. But I really do think it could be argued that the people who died um, when Thanos attacked might have lived if Ragnarok hadn't happened. If they hadn't been confined to that ship 
Thanos' attack on Asgard might have gone a lot a lot differently. He'd have just killed half of them, which is what he does with <laughs> any planet he in, he invades. So that's why when he went to Xandar, he probably and to get the Power Stone, he probably killed half of them. That seems to be his thing. I mean, he kills anybody he uh, resists, but, and then of those who are left, he kills half. But here's the question. When he snapped his fingers, did he keep in mind the planets he'd already cut in half, or did he cut them in half again? I imagine he just cut everything still living in half. I mean, if he's not too specific, he could have killed, cut all the animals, bacteria. I mean, you, I mean, I would hope that his snap had some specificity to it, or you could lose half the cows, half the germs. Uh, if, you, if you lose half of life in the universe... I mean, there's nothing about that snap. There's nothing about losing. To, to just eliminate half the life in the universe, why would that be sapient life only? Well, if he did that, if he eliminated half the life in the universe, then he did not solve the resources problem that he envisioned. No, he didn't. But, I mean, he had all the stones. He could have been very specific that it was a certain level of sapience that would that it was going after which is a little bit i mean that's that's the only way you could eliminate the because you you have to eliminate the life that is causing a drain on the resources which means you need a, a certain level of reasoning which is the ability to reason is sapience not sentience so you aren't wiping out sentient life um because if you're wiping out half of all sentient life you're going to get all the animals too um, but if you're looking for a certain level of sapience, then, I mean, with the Infinity Stones, conceivably, he could have made it that granular. Like, he's looking for a certain level of reasoning. Like, people who have the ability to build, use, and make tools, and, and build things, and kill things. And, you know, I mean, there's some level of reasoning that needs to go there. Um, but but it, the MCU is very not is very unspecific about what it means to eliminate half the life in the universe. So um, it's really annoying. Uh, half the life would be a big problem because, it, like I said, lack of specificity. You have just you know, and potentially cutting out half could completely destabilize the ecosystems of of most places everywhere. <laughs> and that could wind up destroying all life. So, I mean, you can't just take half of everything living on a planet and destroy it without destabilizing the ecosystem. I would not mind seeing Riddick, somebody asked in the chat room, it's a horrible one to see Riddick fight against the children of Thanos. I would not mind seeing Riddick fight against any big bad. Um, and I firmly believe Riddick would win. So, you know. There you yeah, go. I'm all in. Riddick, I'm all in. Richard Richard B. Riddick is the ultimate badass. Let's go. Um, Keep what you kill. Unless you don't like it, and then you can throw it away. <laughs> well, it's my belief that the life is trapped in the stones. Um, that's why my belief is you need them all. It's because you need the combined power of, you know, that which created the universe in order to contain that much life. Um, why you can't just do it with one. But, you know, I don't know what the MCU writers are going to do with where those lives are. So, 
Um, well, we saw a poster today, if you saw the poster, where it's showing the inside of the stone, I guess, probably the the soul stone, and you're seeing um, the heroes that got snapped. Yeah, that poster did make me think of the soul stone, and the color makes me think of the snow, so, so, soul stone, and it had that temple that Thanos um, was in, so... Um, so in terms of, but and back to the the whole, you know, desecrate your darlings thing that we're doing. Um, so I think we kind of agree about, or we basically agree that Bruce is would not be the choice, my choice in the MCU, for no. doing this too. I mean, I, he may be less corruptible than Tony. Tony Denozo. Um So then that leaves uh, so uh, my other my other unicorn in the MCU is Tony Stark and yeah it it would be a lot easier for me to um but still even with Tony Stark I would give him at least something people can get behind like even if it's a little diluted um I would just lampshade that part of it you know that he's you know kind of becoming a little bit of a megalomaniac but. It's like, okay, you guys keep fucking it up when you're in charge, so I'm going to be in charge. And, like, secretly, I mean, he's, he's got the money and the resources and the brains to take over the world. It would be pretty easy to write that where he's, like, literally taking over. Um, and they don't even know it. Right, especially have them not know it. And then it's a, it's a done deal by the time they figure it out. It's too late. Um So I, uh, I I could I could easily do I could easily see that with him and I, and I would enjoy it too I would I would enjoy writing that I would enjoy reading it um, because some people got that shit coming but if I was gonna do like a straight up fuck everything up villainy kind of situation I probably would go with um, Steve Rogers he's not my um, darling or, or my unicorn. But if I was going to write somebody just going completely off the rails, it'd be Steve. <laughs> I could write Tony going off the rails for good, which would mean I have to strip everything that he loves away from him. And um, uh, But Steve, I could see him going off the rails for little to no reason. And it being perfectly reasonable. Because he's morally ambiguous to begin with. Steve? Yeah, I agree. Steve is pretty morally ambiguous. Um, the thing is, it usually, okay, so usually if I'm, if I'm, now, if, if I was trying to position him truly as the villain, yeah, I could do that. But if I was trying to position him as the, as sort of an anti-hero, you know, the, at trying to position my quote-unquote bad guy as the protagonist, I don't think I could do that with Steve. I could do it with Tony, but I couldn't do it with Steve. I don't mean um, it's like, um, I mean it's like the, just the, the genuine bad guy. <laughs> okay, so that that would be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, see, I would never, see, I would never make my darling the actual bad guy because if I, the bad guy to me, the actual bad guy, not somebody doing bad things or, 
you know, unless it, um, let's, I'm going to say not bad guy, the villain. I wouldn't make my, because sometimes you root for the bad guy, right? Um, but let's say the actual villain, okay? Um, I would never make one of my darlings the actual villain because I expect the good guys to defeat or kill the villain in I expect my protagonist <laughs> to, to kill the villain, right? So I would never, I would never kill my darlings. I, I can't, I but can't do them, you know, kill all your darlings. Kind of thing. Keep in mind that villainy is a, a matter of perspective, right? But yeah, I just, if I were to write from the bad, I could write from the bad guy's perspective, like like John Wick kind of thing, right? But I wouldn't, mm. still wouldn't consider him the villain in that story. I think he's a bad. The people guy, he killed but, would consider him the villain. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would, yes. But I actually, from the, he's, but it's his story. He's still the protagonist of the story, right? The, your bad guy, you can have a bad guy be the protagonist. The villain is the person working against the protagonist. So a good guy could be the villain, I guess. But <laughs> I couldn't write the villain side of it be. My, one of my darlings, the actual villain of the story, the person my protagonist is fighting against, could not be one of my darlings because the, the model of the way I write is that the, the villain gets defeated in some fashion. So if I'm going to write one of my, if I'm going to corrupt one of my darlings, they're going to be the protagonist of the story. You're going to be. And they're going to win, the damn it. <laughs> and they're right. going to win. <laughs> so. The, you know, is your bad guy the protagonist? That can you can totally do that. Arguably, uh, Infinity Wars, Thanos was the protagonist. Right. Um, I mean, it depends on your perspective, but you could definitely. I think that's part of one of the reasons why people were kind of emotionally flummoxed by the movie is because I really do think they positioned Thanos as the protagonist of that story. Um, and he finally got what he wanted, and he was so happy. Yeah. And the story was really all about him. It, it was so, it, everything was so focused on him. You're in his point of view a lot. It, it just, it, it, he felt like the protagonist of the story. And I didn't know what to do with that. So, um, it's obscene, you want, really. Yeah, it is. So you, the thing, and that's the thing is you want, whether, you're, whether your protagonist is a bad guy or a good guy, does good things, does bad things, whether your protagonist is, this, is a serial killer or a cop, you want your audience to be cheering okay. for them. You want your audience to be rooting for them. And I wasn't rooting for Thanos. So that's where I was I was really off in the to me it was off tonally. Like I don't understand what's happening here. The so John Wick was not a good man, but he was the protagonist of his story and you were rooting for him. Um Riddick, not well, Riddick is more it's arguable whether Riddick's a good man. I mean, they kept trying to position him as being a very bad man, but then he kept not doing very bad things. Um, but arguably, he's not a good man. We won't call him a bad man, but we'll say he's not really a good man. Uh, but he is the protagonist of all of his movies. So, And, and you're rooting for him in every movie. So... Um, you don't want, your, you don't want a, your audience to be hate, hating on your protagonist. It's just never... Never a good thing. Um, I 
I'm reading about sentient capes. Um, sentient capes. I have never, I've not watched Doctor Strange. Um, I had actually planned to watch Doctor Strange until I watched Infinity War, and I hate the character. I have no interest whatsoever in watching his movie. He's a dick. I, yeah, he's, well, he, I, I don't find him any more of a dick than most of the Avengers, but, um, so I guess I just so, took that with a grain of salt. I, I really enjoyed Doctor Strange. Uh, it's probably in my top five in the franchise, I think. My husband really enjoyed it, too. I just, yeah. Sometimes you just don't resonate with a character, and it's just, no, like, I, I really... I really wanted, like way back when, I really wanted a Black Widow movie. And if they put a Black Widow movie out now, I wouldn't watch it on a bet. No way. No, um, me Because the character has just lost all appeal for me. So, um, Which I think was the point. I think they wanted fans to stop asking for a Black Widow movie so they ruined her character. Maybe. Maybe. Although, there were, I kind of, I didn't, I didn't like her in Iron Man 2. I didn't like her at all. I liked her in The Avengers. Um, so I had a little of a mental disconnect between uh, Iron Man and... I actually had real problems with Iron Man 2. I felt like the way everybody treated Tony was terrible. Um, Even people who were supposed to be his friend. Yeah, especially his friends. And I didn't get the Tony Pepper thing. I... I it didn't make sense to me. She treats him like a child in 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 canon. Um, she's always and that's chastising not him. No, she's always chastising him. She's always telling him what to do. Um, and if he's you know if he's not mature enough for her, and and if that's the issue, and he may not be, that may be legitimate. He may not be a mature enough person for her to be happy in a relationship with. Then she shouldn't have gotten in a relationship with him. Getting into a relation with somebody you're attracted to and thinking you're going to change them, as we know, is that something is doomed to fail. And it's not fair to the person that you think you're going to change because then you just turn into a harpy. And that's the way she started to come across. Um, and it's not sexy. No, it's not sexy. So I, I, I had real big problems with Iron Man, too. I, I didn't like the way he was. And he made her CEO, and then she really treated him like shit because she didn't like the decisions that he made. Um, forget, I mean, I, it was just weird to me that she was not acting like he was, he was still her boss. So um, even if she was a CEO, so it just, it was really, that I, I, Iron Man 2, I had real problems with Pepper in that. I like Pepper in Iron Man, the first Iron Man. Um, but in two and in um, and it, her and Black Widow were both awful in Iron Man, and I and they were they were making them plot devices, not characters. They were using them to create external motivations for Tony, and sacrificing their characterization to do it, and it was irritating. Um, Super irritating. Um, Brunhild, Brunhild, I think that's how you pronounce her name. The Valkyrie Brunhilda. is Thor. Uh, is yeah. it Brunhilde or is it Brunhild? Is it Brunhilde? Her, I don't know. She's badass, though. I, so I like her. I liked her to a degree. Um, I had, I had some issues with her 
what she chose to do with her life, I guess. Um, capturing people and forcing them into slavery. Yeah. I, I don't care how traumatized she was after all of her sisters fell. I'm not going to be down with that. So I, I, I had a hard time with that. So I, I wasn't her biggest fan. I thought that she was a badass beyond that, but just as a, as a backstory for a character, the way they brought her in is that she's capturing people and forcing them. She's forcing them to be gladiators. That was a life of slavery. And I, oh, that really bothers me. So um, she's a slave trader. So I don't, I just, I don't care how drunk she is. There's just no excuse. So the only female characters I'm really good with are the, the three, three, the four, four, four women, main women in uh, the Black Panther. I, no issue with any of them. <laughs> None. So they're really the only ones that aren't um assassins or slave traders. I guess Lady Sif's okay, yeah. but we don't get to see her much. Um Well Sif, um I had issues with her too. I mean, give me time, I can I can but I mean I don't well, what was I don't your issue I have with say- Sif. Um, I felt like she was um I felt like I felt like all of Thor's friends were um sycophants. Um and I, it it bothered me. I the, the nature of their relationship with Thor in, in the first Thor movie really bothered me. She was fine later. Um but um, I don't know. Yeah, I think well, my major issue yeah, with was the uh, was I think that there's an underlying assumption um, that uh, because well, you know in mythology, Sif is actually um, Thor's wife. Um. And so I think that Marvel tried to play up that angle a little bit that eventually, you know, that that she was basically waiting for Thor to grow up so she could be his queen. Yeah, maybe. But also, um, I, and maybe so. maybe this is just maybe this is just my like really backward view on things. If I'm remembering Thor correctly, and this was my interpretation of things at the time, at the point that Loki was made regent. Loki Loki hadn't done anything that should have made uh, Thor's friends um particularly suspicious of him. Yes, he, we know the the audience knows he had done some stuff, but it wasn't his fault that Odin went into the Odin sleep. Um it wasn't his fault that Thor was banished, right? So Loki was legitimately made regent by Frigga. And those four basically well, committed that- treason debatable that whether or not it's his fault i mean because it because we know as the, as the audience that it actually is his fault um that uh the frost giants yeah. invaded and that right. he basically goaded thor into invading another realm well i, I think you could <laughs> look at that i i think you could inter i i think that i think that that's um open to interpretation, but in any case, um, 
they don't know any of that is my point. No, they okay? don't. No. So just they based just on don't what like they him. know, they don't like him. So based upon their actions and what they know, you got setting aside what Loki actually may have done or not done, he was legitimately regent, and they fomented treason. Um, that doesn't make them good guys, in my opinion. And they did get away with it because Loki was found out to have done some bad things, and so their misdeeds were were forgiven. And I, you know, I especially at that time, I wasn't a big fan of Loki, but I do try to be objective about how I look at characters. And that the movie Thor was a redemption arc for Thor, right? Him growing up and becoming, you know, a grown up. But again, they weren't really thinking through when they had the blind loyalty to Thor. They were committing treason against the crown. So, and they did it just because they don't like Loki, which was like absurd. And and so in the movie, I'm like, okay, but I was thinking, okay, so yeah, Loki's done some bad shit. He really shouldn't be on the throne. But they don't know any of that. So why are they plotting to try to overthrow him? So I I had some issues there, and she was part of that, which is why it was so refreshing when. Black Panther movie comes along and um, you had oh what was the general's name I can't say her name but I love her I want to have her babies oh yeah when she was just like she she stood right nose to nose with her man and she was and he said you would you would you would yeah I, I don't remember exactly put it you would you know go against me and he's like I would I, for Wakanda I would do anything she was completely she was completely loyal to her oath and i just i just loved her Okoye. yes yeah i just couldn't remember her name um and she even stood with him until it became clear that he was not legitimately the king that the fight wasn't over yeah, she stood with her king, even if she didn't like him, until she realized, yeah, that he might not actually be the king. So, um, then she made her man stand down. Like, there was that moment, you know, when they were like, and he, he, she was like, dude, you're just dick. <laughs> yeah. And I and like, recognized that, and I was like, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> and the the love interest—I can't remember her name either. I'm blanking on that. Ashuri was great too. Um, the Dowager Queen, she was great. Um, and then um, I can't remember his name either. Uh, his love interest, the king's love interest, um, all very beautiful, badass, wonderfully well done with the with the women and that. Um, I thought Black Panther is probably my favorite. Um, movie in the franchise. Aside from being just wonderfully entertaining and a really good story, it is got just the best female characterization of, of women in, in the and, and the women play a prominent role. So they, they aren't just tertiary characters that are flat. Um, especially Okoye, she plays. Man, um, you really don't need to pivotal. mess with her because she'll snatch her own wig off to beat you with it. <laughs> Yeah, she will. <laughs> I don't like Jane. I don't either. I do like Darcy. 
but I don't like Jane. I, I like Darcy, but I felt like she wasn't explored enough. She's just this, to me, Darcy is the only life Darcy has to me is the life fan fiction authors have given her because right. in the, in Canon, she's very just a flat sarcasm machine. Um, I don't know anything about her. Um, she's just there for laughs. Um, so it, from a Canon perspective, I didn't have a lot of use for her, but I think fan fiction authors have done some really great things to help flesh her out and give her life. Um, Jane was just yeah. yawn. Which is terrible because I know you don't want to hear it, but, but Jane in the comics was actually really interesting. <laughs> so it sucks that Jane in the, in the MCU is the... Well, I don't, I don't mind. It, I don't mind talking about the comics because when they when they make something worse in the MCU than it was in the comics, that's sad. What I get tired of is when you talk about MCU canon and this is the way it is, and people counter and go, "Oh, well, but it's really this way in the comics." I'm like, well, I don't care how it is in the comics. I'm talking about the MCU. Quit trying to corrupt me with comic book canon. Um, <laughs> I think, honestly, though, if you want to tell a well-rounded story in the MCU, that you need to investigate in some of the, um, or investigate some of the, the comic book sources, because that gives you a, a better foundation to stand on with some characters, like Bruce Banner, um, uh, like Jane Foster, who, who is very one-dimensional in the movies, um, and I just think that it, it, it gives you more potential. Um, Nebula. Uh, Gamora, these are all characters that are heavily explored in the comics that are being short-shafted in the movies. Um, and you can get a lot more depth just reading their wiki pages than you get out of the movies that they're in. And that says something. Yeah, I I, I agree. You can get, but when, when comic book and the MCU canon contradict each other, I tend to... It's really annoying. ...towards the MCU canon... Because yeah. I'm writing in the MCU. That's just my... Right. But I've, I've investigated, and I used to read some of the comics, um, Marvel comics, like when I was younger. So some of the stuff I, like, every once in a while I go, wait a minute, was this canon for this character in the MCU, or was it, is this comic book stuff? I don't remember. But, I mean, some of these characters were never, like, a focus. Like, I didn't read Iron Man comics. Um, I re- actually read, I read X-Men for years. But... Um, I didn't know who Iron Man was until Iron Man came out. I knew who he was, but i i didn't read the com- I didn't read the comics. I wasn't interested. Um, I don't know why, because um, a superhero that the technology based versus you know some sort of mutation or accident based should have always appealed to me. But um, I grew up with um, Super Friends. <laughs> That was my limit to um, uh, to that because I didn't have comic books. I didn't, you know, I didn't. That, that wasn't an interest for me. But I do like um, reading the wikis and seeing, um, exploring the, the the characters as they could be. Or and really, I think that when you have um, information from the comics, like when you read the wikis, it can help you build your character. Even if you don't use the data they give you, if you don't use the events. Um, just just to give them some dimension. Yeah, especially if they are underutilized in um, in in the cinematic universe. I mean, 
There was there was one I don't remember which character the character that you don't know much about in either the movie or Agents of Shield or something and I was reading a story or it was like everybody had the similar details for the story. And I was like puzzling over how did everybody you know, extrapolate all these exact same details and they're like fan out there. It's because oh no, this is the comic book character. And I don't even remember who it was, but I was like, Really? This is a character from the comics? And I'm like, Yeah, okay. I do, I, you know, I do think a lot of people became um, Iron Man, got into Iron Man because Robert Downey Jr. played Iron Man. I think there are a lot of, you know, Robert Downey Jr. fans who were like, okay, I'll take a chance on this. And then they were all sucked into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's like, okay. And I would be one of those people. <laughs> I love myself from Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Even when he was a dope head. I, I love him. <laughs> he's just—he's awesome and very talented, and I'm—I'm I'm really happy that he's no longer um, a um, a prisoner to that addiction. I mean, well, not that he, that addiction will never go away, but that he's um, strong enough to to um, um, that he's found that inner strength. And probably his wife helps in that too, having all that support, so he doesn't end up. Um, with that gun back in his mouth, which I think is one of the most famous lines. Um, one of the things that whenever I see him, I think about it is when he was pleading in court, he told the judge, it was like, I have a gun in my mouth and I love the taste of metal. And that's how he felt wow. about cocaine. Wow. If you've never watched in, in the actor's studio, um, Robert Downey Jr.'s actor's studio um, interview, you totally should. He is so interesting. Very, very interesting man. Brutally honest about his past. And um, he's talking, <laughs> I forget the host's name. I forget his name. And he's talking about the nuances of a performance that he'd given. And he asked Robert, what his inspiration was for that movie. And he said, that would have been black tar cocaine. <laughs> I'll make a note to, to watch that. Okay. <laughs> She's just brutally honest about his experiences. And, um, um, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. So it's a very, you, you may not be able to find it on YouTube. James Lipton. Thank you. Um, is the host of In the Actor's Studio. You might be able to find it on YouTube. I don't know, but I highly recommend that you watch it if you ever come across it. It's very good. It's a very good show, but particularly there are two interviews that stick out for me that that really um, resonated with me, and that would be Kira Sedgwick's and Robert Downey Jr.'s. Get you, boo, all on it. Apparently, you can watch it on Bravo TV. It was in season 16. Wow. Look at how efficient boo is when she's drunk. <laughs> but Kira Sedgwick is also really awesome. I thought, I honestly recommend um, the entire Actor Studio series. It, it is is very very interesting. Um, it's set up a classroom, and the actors are basically at a um, or they're at a university that teaches um, acting, and it's the Actor Studio, and they have students in the audience, um, students that are um, studying acting. 
and they get to ask questions and they um, just, it's, it's really, it's really awesome. I, I, I miss it a lot. <laughs> you know, just as a, as a little bit of a tangent about Kira Sedgwick, um, when I was, um, we're down to 15. 90 seconds, so quick. <laughs> oh, no, never mind. I'll save it for another time. I'll make a note. Some other time I'll say guys about <laughs> Kira Sedgwick. Okay. We'll put it on the list. Kira Sedgwick. We'll do a whole I, 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 I really love successful at, I do too. I Go still ahead. have not been successful at cor- corrupting my darling, so um, I'll have to ponder, you know, ponder that some more. I don't know. I'm not. I think of my darlings. The only one that's really easily corruptible to me is John Shepard. Uh, <laughs> and take for that what you will. You guys have a great weekend, and we'll catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Hi, everyone.